wanted to have as much control and independence over my life, my work choices, and uh, push into that space where... Welcome back to Young Smart Money. My name is Apple Crater, and I'm your host. Now, this episode, we're having somebody on who has had a huge, huge impact on me personally, and that is through his creation of an event called FinCon. Okay, so if you're not familiar with FinCon, it's an event for people in the personal finance space, people who are creating content, either blogging, podcasting, YouTubing, any kind of creator in the personal finance space to come together, learn from each other, share with each other, and even get business opportunities through meeting with different sponsors and in with each other. So, I went to this event for the first time in Orlando, uh, probably close to like, I don't even know, like eight months now maybe, and it was the very first like in-person event that I'd ever been to, okay, and it was a huge, hugely impactful thing for me. I actually had won a scholarship to that, and, and, and if you guys are considering going, I would highly, highly recommend applying for that scholarship because you can potentially get the entire thing paid for. So I got a scholarship to go to this event, and I went there, and it was so, so impactful for me. Met so many cool people. Met PT, the creator of FinCon. So I got to sit down with PT today. We chatted about a ton of things from taking risks to to really just getting started with entrepreneurship to creating in-person events that will, that will be very, very successful. So I want to share this all with you. And without further ado, let's get right into the show and welcome PT to Young Smart Money. So PT, thank you so much for joining us today on Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. It's, it's great to be here with you. I'm a fan of your show. And so it's really cool to be on with you. Thank you so much, man. Well, I'm a huge fan of you. So it's a pleasure to be speaking with you today. So the first thing, it's a question that I've just started asking my guests recently, but uh, the, the thing I want to I ask you is, first of all, do you consider yourself to be an entrepreneur? Absolutely. Now, what, is, what does entrepreneur mean to you? Uh, someone who, uh, you know, creates something of value for some other people, sells it to them, and at some point takes a risk, right? So hmm. there's a risk factor involved that you sort of have to put yourself out there a little bit and, uh, and uh, test, your, test yourself against the market. Hmm. Okay. Do you think entrepreneurship is something that's more something that you're born with or something that you learn to do or a combination of the two? I think it's a little bit of a combination. I mean, I think um, back in the day, everyone was sort of, all humans sort of bartered and existed sort of in a, a natural community market uh, environment. So you all, everyone sort of had to be good at that. And so I think that's an innate human thing. But uh, certainly more people are inclined to take more risks or... Um, seek more autonomy in their work life. Um, that was big for me. So that's really what pushed me into it is just, I really wanted to have as much control and independence over my life, my work choices and uh, push into that space where, you know, if I didn't have want to have to work with anybody, I didn't, I don't, I don't have to. And so that's yeah. biggie for me. And so some people are, they're running away from something or, or toward something. And so, um, you know, I think oftentimes a, a motivator like that can push someone toward entrepreneurship, but um, my dad was somewhat of an entrepreneur. And so I think it benefited me to see him doing that and to know that it was possible and that, uh, I could probably do it too if he did it. So, hmm. so what was your, what was your upbringing? Like, were you, obviously you said your dad was somewhat of an entrepreneur. So were you very heavily influenced by entrepreneurship from a young age? Were you out there doing lemonade stands and, and flipping stuff or, or what did that look like for you? Yeah. So I, I, I had a few uh, a little businesses and I'll get into that, but certainly my dad was, uh, was an entrepreneur and influenced me. He, he got his CPA license, uh, right out of college, just like wow. I eventually did. Hmm. So, uh, he had his own CPA firm there for a while. So I got to go to his office as a kid and seeing him, you know, run all over the office and make stuff <laughs> out of the paper clips and, um, 
you know, copy stupid stuff on the copier and uh, just have a goofball time at his office. But it was cool to be able to just hang out in my dad's office, this thing that he had created that, that he was the owner and he was the big boss, you know, yeah. so it's cool. Um, through the years, um, that CPA served him well, so he always sort of had a practice in the back end, but he tried uh, pecan farming. Let's see, he tried Wild. Boat, boat, bass boat manufacturing. <laughs> um, there's a couple other businesses in there too. But uh, So I saw him kind of go through different phases, and that affected us uh, economically as a family. Yeah. So I saw the ups and downs of some of that, um, but I always saw my dad taking ownership and control of his life. And he never made any excuses. He never whined. He just got back up the next day and went and did his thing. And so that was that was very much something I honored. But I also respected my dad for having a degree and having uh, sort of that CPA certification to uh, to give him a background. You know, so he kind of played it on both fences, on both sides of the fence there, where he had the he had the security, but he wasn't he wasn't afraid to also go test you know, the waters of the market and, and try some cool things out. So yeah, when I got, when I got to uh, high school, let's see, I, uh, I collected can aluminum cans and turned those in for cash. <laughs> and that was back when probably you could make a little more than you can today on, on aluminum. But oh, uh, yeah, but um, I also had a, uh, a business where I mowed folks lawns. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's typical landscaping business for a high schooler. And it's a good one because I had yeah. a, I had a truck and I had a, a mower and I could just mm. go control my own schedule and get yeah. some clients and, uh, you know, make some quick cash shows. It, it was my first, first business that I got into. Um, mm. but then, it, but then I sort of tried to, then I sort of, you know, once I got to college, I sort of went into that safe pathway that I think folks who kind of come up through the traditional uh, college and then corporate lifestyle opportunity sort of find themselves in. So that's kind of where yeah. I headed next, but yeah, I dabbled. And I was inspired by my dad. Were you, were you highly engaged at school or what did school look like for you while you were doing all this stuff? College or high school? Uh, either one. Yeah. I, I loved high school. So I went to a small school. It was only four, 46 people in my class. Wow. Very small town. And so I would consider myself like one of the, one of like two or three or four, maybe of the folks there who considered themselves like academic and, mm. and, and sort of showed up to school to like actually learn and like pursue yeah. like a, a future career. And so I was a geek and I was kind of nerdy, but I was also, it was a small school. So I was also able to be like the cool, the best athlete on the football team. It's mm. too. So uh, it was a unique um, place. It was big fish, small pond kind of experience. Yeah. For me. Um, but yeah, I was a total geek about school. I didn't necessarily have good study habits in high school. Hmm. Um, I was probably a jerk to a lot of my teachers, <laughs> but uh, I loved learning and I loved, uh, I learned by listening, by sitting there and listening and absorbing it. So hmm. I never, I could never miss class or never miss like being at school because that's just the way I learned. And that translated into college as well. As long as I showed up to the class, like I could always do well. I couldn't take the textbook home and learn it and all that stuff. But uh, if I was there to hear from the teacher and, and learn, um, had a few friends in, in, in high school that were pretty good buddies and, uh, we just kind of piled around and, um, we're total nerds. Um, just, just loved it and absolutely loved my high school. And then college was even better because once you get to college, you know, you're played in this bigger pool, so you're yeah. not as cool, you're not as important, but you can really self-select down into like the friends that you really want. Whereas high school sort of forced you to be friends with maybe some people who weren't aligned with you. Yeah. And in college, you really could really pick those people who you wanted to, uh, to move forward with. So that's kind of what I did in college. I pursued an accounting degree 
just like my father mm-hmm. um, and set the curve on my first accounting test and knew from that, you know, from that mo- moment forward, I was like, well, it's, uh, this is in the blood. I'm probably really, you know, really good at this. And so I should just probably stick with it and pursue it. And, uh, and that kind of carried me through, carried me through college. So, wow. So how did you get from, from finishing college and getting your CPA to where you're at now running a, a, a huge conference? Yeah, certainly not what I saw, you know, that I, I thought I would be doing when I left college. I <laughs> thought I would, I thought I would tip, typically your accounting degree person leaves, um, leaves university and thinks, okay, I'm either going to go into public accounting for a little while and get the, get the uh, necessary work requirements to complete my CPA, mm-hmm. or I'm going to, uh, you know, work for uh, either a big accounting firm or, you know, do, do a small accounting firm kind of thing or mm-hmm. go into corporate world and, and do uh, corporate finance and, and that kind of stuff. So initially I chose public accounting, worked for a big firm for a while, decided that wasn't for me. Uh, worked for a small firm for a while, decided that wasn't for me. Worked for my dad a while and uh, I love my dad, but uh, you know, I didn't see my future working with him or taking over his practice. Ultimately, I decided that um, working one-on-one with clients in a public accounting firm, either doing their taxes or auditing their books or, mm-hmm. or keeping their bookkeeping, which is not something I was real strong suited at. I'm not really good with the one-on-one client relationship. Hmm. Um, and so um, I struggled to find what I, what, I was, what I was good at and what I wanted to pursue. But luckily with the CPA, it gave me a lot of flexibility. I eventually went into what's called internal auditing. So instead of auditing other folks' businesses, I found one company that I could work for hmm. and I would just audit their businesses. So I existed in a corporate environment in a cube and, uh, you know, worked with a team of people who basically examined the, the sales processes and all the processes, different processes of the business. And we just looked at them all day long and we traveled. It was a global corporation. So we got to travel all over the world, which is really cool. Get a pretty sweet paycheck. Um, but, uh, ultimately, you know, it wasn't fulfilling my heart's desire. <laughs> Let's put it that yeah. way. I'll, and so I always kind of knew in the back of my mind, I spent, I spent 10 years sort of surfing around in public accounting and, and internal auditing. Hmm. And I always knew that uh, there was something else for me out there and I just didn't know what that was. And so in about 2003, 2004, I started reading personal finance blogs, hmm. uh, just as a personal interest of like starting to improve my uh, financial life. Yeah. And I met my uh, girlfriend who I eventually would get engaged with. And so like, getting serious about my money um, started becoming like really real and important to me. So I started reading these blogs and just obsessed with the idea that these people were sharing specific financial details, you know, about their situation, albeit they were doing it sort of anonymously. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they were going online and, and journaling basically how they were maxing out their 401ks, how they were shooting for financial independence, how they were getting rid of all their debt, like all these cool things people were doing in their personal finance life that you would never talk to your parents about. You would never yeah. talk to your neighbors about your friends, like these, these financial conversations were happening online that, you know, I wasn't used to seeing or hearing, you know, mm. I followed Dave Ramsey a little bit, but, mm-hmm. um, this was revolutionary for me. And so it really inspired me to like really get into it and start fixing my own life. And then, uh, you know how it is. You can only consume for so long before you've got an idea yourself, right? Yeah. Kind of comes out of you. And so in 2007, I started PT money which was my first personal finance blog. And, 
And that was just kind of an outpouring of me saying, okay, I've learned everything from you guys. Um, I want to be a part of this community too and start sharing my stuff. So let me create my own website. And, um, and then I did that for three years as a hobby on the side. And so mm -hmm. we can talk about kind of that phase, but yeah. I, I didn't immediately leave like the corporate world to, to go full-time blogging. I spent three years with that as a hobby, as a part-time business. And then in 2010, that became a full-time business for me. I was a full-time blogger. Woohoo! In 2010. Wow. <laughs> in 2010. And, yeah. And then a year later is when I said, I need a new side hustle. I need something else to like have in the background. And yeah. would it, wouldn't it be cool if like all, we got all the bloggers together um, under one roof? And so that's when, that's when the conference came about. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, when you first started blogging, did you know that you could like make money doing that or was it kind of just something you were just doing for fun? It was definitely a passion. So yeah. that was at the heart of it. But I did see that some of the other bloggers were talking about that they were making money from their, their blogs. And so they were doing, um, they were selling, um, some of them had their own courses or, you know, had an ebook or whatever. Some of them had uh, Google AdSense on their site. Mm -hmm. Some of them participated in affiliate marketing. And so, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't going after it, um, to, I knew I would immediately make a bunch of money yeah. with it. In fact, I didn't even really try to monetize it for the first seven months, if that tells you anything, yeah. but, I knew, but I knew it was possible. And so that was part of the motivation for doing it. It was like, okay, if I could do this and if I enjoyed it and if it became a thing and if I got to be where these other guys are, then maybe I could monetize it too. And it could be a good side hustle and something that might like, you know, buy a few extra groceries every month or whatever. But uh, yeah. I certainly didn't dream at first that like, that was what I was going to do. I almost like wouldn't let myself believe that that was actually possible. Mm. Two years into it, the thing was, you know, spitting out uh, my mortgage payment and then was paying more wow. than that. It was like, okay, <laughs> well, this is basically like having two incomes now. I have my full-time job and now I have this thing I'm working on nights and weekends on. That's basically making about, it was making about a half, to a, 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 a quarter to about a half depending on the month of that salary. Wow. But we were, we, because we had spent, you know, those early years with the blog, like completely fixing our financial life, getting rid of our debt, um, you know, really learning to live like frugally and lean. Um, it started to look like enough money that we could live off of, you know, and that really opened up a whole new you know thing for me. And, uh, I'm a conservative guy, so I didn't naturally just think, just, jump and go do it. Yeah. Um, a, a riskier entrepreneur or more, a more technical uh, capable entrepreneur might've jumped a little earlier, but I'm a super conservative guy and, uh, wanted to make absolutely sure that I would be, I would be safe when I jumped. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So well, in 2010, I eventually decided that that was enough. My wife and I had just had a baby. And so we were kind of done with the traveling part of it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so it was like, this is a perfect time for me to, you know, not travel as much, be at home more and, uh, try to grow this business. You know? Wow. What you yeah. said that really just made me think of a conversation I had with my mentor actually earlier this morning in that he compared entrepreneurship and being a successful entrepreneur to being a dog chasing a car. And when a dog's chasing a car, the point is not to catch the car. The point is for the dog to just keep running and the dog will just keep finding a new car to run after. And, and that yeah. sort of reminded me when you said that you found the blog and then once the blog took off, you found the event. Yeah. And it's, it's all about the process, not about like what the end result that it brings. 
but really just doing something that really lights you up and really like gets you excited. So I think that's a really big thing. But with that, like you said, comes a lot of risks. So how, how did you develop your ability to take risks and, and how natural was that for you? Yeah, it wasn't natural, but one, one of the things that I always try to tell folks to do is to uh, don't live in fear of something that you're ignorant about, right? So mm-hmm. for me, it was, oh, how am I going to do health insurance? Because we had this baby now, and it was like, what if we want to have more babies? Like, yeah. how am I going to pay for all that if I don't have an employer to give me a health insurance plan? And so for the longest time, I just sat there paralyzed by that fact, not knowing, okay, what is actually the opportunity on the open insurance market. Like what could I go buy? Mm-hmm. How much would it cost if I budgeted for it? You know, could we afford it and all that stuff. If you started saving for a baby, all that stuff. So yeah. um, I just basically didn't, didn't wallow in my ignorance. I actually chased down that fear and went and stared it in the face and said, okay, well that's actually not as bad maybe as I thought it would be. And so yeah. my first, yeah, my first advice is to, is to certainly uh, make sure you're not your risk your feeling of risk is not based in ignorance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, I would say uh, do as much as possible that within your control to reduce that risk as, poss- as, as far as possible, whether that's um, like I did, which was keeping the business on the side for a long time. Um, also fixed my financial life. So I got rid of all the debt in my life uh, besides our mortgage. I, uh, I jacked up our savings rate and our emergency fund. So I got those to like the maximum levels and uh, just felt, you know, like I was really secure. I also had a background where I had a accounting degree and a CPA's license. So it's like at the end of the day, yeah, I could always just, you know, go do uh, go do taxes. So you know, it's kind of the trifecta of reducing risk, right? I mean, I really understand all the aspects of it, um, and then and then making sure you're personally ready for it, um, and then make sure you have some kind of fallback plan. So, yeah. Assessing those safety nets is huge and, and just realizing that, okay, what's the worst thing that could plausibly happen right now and, yep. and what would I do if that were to happen? So just having those plans in place so you don't have to live in, in fear of the what ifs. So I think that's, that's, right. I think that's really, really big. Now, FinCon, which is the conference that you created and now put on, is, is a very big event. Can you give us just like some numbers to give our, our listeners a, a fair idea of how big this thing is, whether that be like yeah. people or, or whatever? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we have about 6,000 people on our email list who consider themselves what I would call money media creators or people who go on online and talk about personal finance or investing. So like yourself on YouTube, like others who are, who are into podcasting or like folks who do blogging like myself. So, um, it's a big universe of people, believe it or not, that are actually online and doing that. And it's growing more and more every day because, um, more people, are fixing their financial situation. They're taking it upon themselves to do it mm-hmm. uh, either because they need to, or they're seeing others doing it and they're inspired to go do it. And then uh, the internet's just making it easier. And oh, so, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, about 6,000 people I would say is that our universe of folks. Um, and then there are all the brands out there who support sort of personal finance and investing who are marketing in that space. So my job as a conference is really just to bring those people together to talk shop, and uh, to do business together and just to inspire each other. Cause we're the weird people in the world who are talking about money right now. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, you know, it's really cool when we can come together. So we started with about 200 people back in 2011 and we're expecting 2,500 people to be at our next event in Washington DC this September 4th through 7th. So it's an annual conference bringing together between 2000 and 2,500 folks, influencers, bloggers, 
and brands all to get together to learn from each other, make friends, build relationships, and then do business, of course. So mm. um, four-day conference where we, we have keynote speakers. We have um, folks like uh, Rachel Cruz, yep. David Bach, people who are inspiring people in the personal finance and investing space. And then we have awesome entrepreneur um, folks there as well. So um, kind of kind of runs both, both spectrums there. And uh, it's a great event with lots of parties, lots oh, yeah. of uh, breakout sessions for learning, good takeaways little meetups along the way. And so, um, you know, as digital as we've become in this world, it's still important. We're still human for us to get together and shake hands and, you know, have a meal or have a drink together. And so that's kind of what the conference uh, tries to do. hundred percent. And it's a powerhouse of an event too. I went to my first one, um, probably, I don't know, a couple months ago, a few months ago, um, in, in Orlando. And it was, it was very pivotal. It's the first conference that I'd ever been to. And it, it really changed my entire mindset and just, really allowed me to meet so many cool people. I'm excited to come back to DC um, in a couple months. And uh, yeah, so I, I can't, I can't speak highly enough of this event. And that's really why I wanted to have you on this show to, to hear about your experience, really bringing this thing to life because it's, it's a living, breathing thing that you really had to put a lot of time and effort into. So as, as you were sort of building this, what was, what did that look like? So did you have a team around you or was it really just you that had this idea that, that wanted to make it happen? Yeah, it was just me at first. And I certainly wow. don't have an event planning background. So no. <laughs> <laughs> I said uh, at the beginning of 2011, um, it, it had been about a year since I'd left my job and was blogging full time. Mm -hmm. I remember I was uh, laying down to go to sleep at night and uh, married at the time. So, you know, I was kind of talking to my, I had been talking to my wife about this potential idea of bringing the other bloggers together for a while. And uh, I kind of pestered her with it one more time before I was <laughs> sleep. And she's like, enough already like go actually do the thing like, get up yeah. out of bed stop talking to me about it and, actually, <laughs> and so i think i caught my wife at that perfectly like fed up moment and uh it inspired me to to go you know get the domain names and and build out the website and uh and start asking people if they would be interested in coming so luckily um if you're an event planner it's really it's it's important i think to to have an audience in mind a particular audience in mind yeah and in my case, my audience was already there. They already existed. They just needed a place to go. And that's mm. the best type of event. If you're ever going to make plan an event, plan an event for people who already exist and already want to be together. Hmm. At that point, you're just the host, right? Yeah. You don't need to convince them to come because they already want to be together. So if I have any advice for any other event planners out there, anyone who wants to throw a party, Make sure it's for people who, who want to be together. That way, from year to year, it's not dependent on you or who you put on stage yep. or how good the food is or how <laughs> cool the venue is. Um, it all is all about the community and the people coming together. And so I think that's what I got right in this business was that I had a market of, of folks who were, who were really desperately wanting to be served. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and it was the easiest business I ever started in my life because it <laughs> In one way, it was easy because, it, you know, I knew I had good demand for it. Yeah. But in another way, it was difficult because I knew nothing about the event industry, right? So I invited all these people and I set prices for the tickets and I set prices for the sponsorships. And really, I was just throwing numbers out there, to be completely <laughs> honest with you. I mean, I sort, of, I sort of knew what the hotel needed for certain things. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, from, from where I was to where I am now, it's, it's much more sophisticated. But that first year, I just really wanted to do it bad enough to where, um, you know, I, I was willing to kind of put myself out there. So um, 
I had a good community and I think it's important to have that. It's also important to engage with that community before you build the product. Right. Yeah. So this is a little lean startup. If you've ever read that book, it's, oh, kind yeah. of in, it's in that method where um, you're engaging with your customer as you're building the thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I did along the way. I got people on an email list and this is what I would suggest other event planners do. Get them on an email list before you even have a ticket to sell. Yeah. Um, get them on there to say, Hey, I'm putting together this conference idea. If you're interested, come on the list. And then we started uh, polling people as to mm -hmm. what location would be good. What, uh, what kind of sessions they would like to see, like how many days should it be? So I really just gathered, started gathering all this information. And before you knew it, I mean, we had a lot of our questions answered, uh, that we, that we needed to, to resolve to make the conference happen. And its side benefit was all these attendees now, they felt like they kind of had helped build this thing with yep. me, right? So when they got there, they all had a sense of ownership. So yeah. it was like they experienced like the, the product was theirs as well. And so there was a lot of loyalty and a lot of uh, appreciation for what we had put together together. So um, yeah, got the email list out there, eventually started selling tickets, uh, used Eventbrite and I still use mm -hmm. Eventbrite to this day. In terms of finding the hotel, to do it at or the location. Yeah. I actually, I actually picked Chicago because I knew it was centrally located to yeah. um, a lot of the bloggers that I personally knew. And, mm -hmm. and in fact, I had, a, if you go to my website at btmoney.com, you'll see I have a map of all the personal finance bloggers across the world. Really? Yeah. And I'm so at the, out. yeah. And at the time I had that mass already had that map. And so I literally like plotted the place on the United States map where it was more, where the most people were congregated. So I was like, at least like 20 people can drive into this event. Yeah. So, um, um, but, uh, my, you know, I was, it was silly to be that worried because we had many people fly in, of course, internationally and, and domestically to come wow. to, but, uh, yeah. So to, in terms of finding the location, I recommend using a service, um, a hotel broker service. So I use one called Helms Briscoe and they actually helped me, um, do requests for proposals for different hmm. cities and different hotels across the United States that basically puts the onus on the hotel to tell me who wants, who wants our business. Right. So we say we'll have this many people. We're going to spend this much in food and we'll need this much meeting space. So basically tell us who's got going to make the best deal for us. Hmm. And so they come back with that. The broker is free to me, but the hotel eventually pays the broker a fee uh, to bring the business. And so we landed on our first one in Chicago um, and, uh, what else could I tell you about that first year in terms of the details? I did hire uh, a virtual assistant, Jessica, who's now the complete event planner of the event, um, has been for several years. Wow. But back in the day, I hired her on the side just to say, Hey, can you kind of help me fill in the details of like the food, the menu, the mm -hmm. schedule, um, some of the kind of finer details of the hiring the vendors and logistics and things like that. Um, I pulled from as many, uh, Speaking of the attendees and the community, I, I pulled from as many resources as I could in the community itself. So I asked them, you know, who can do this in our community? Who, who would be good for this? And so, mm. like, for instance, the community already had like an award show, the Plutus Awards. Yeah. So I asked the owner of that. I was like, hey, would you bring your award show to FinCon and do it at our event? And boom, yes, instantly. We've got an award show at the event. Um, there were other things like that where, where people sort of brought – you know, assets or community sort of things that they already had going on to hmm. the event. So as much as possible, make it a collaborative event. Yeah. Um, 
and then um, and then know uh, at some point um, you know obsessed uh, obsessed about the event all the way up to it. Um, uh, we got it, we got it as prepared as possible, but uh, at some point you just got to let it go and say, all right, the cake is sort of baked here. We've got yep. our speakers coming, we've got our sponsors coming. We're going to do this thing. The people are coming. Let's have fun and and, and enjoy it and mm. uh, know that something will screw up. Something oh, yeah. will all, every year something will screw up, and I know that. And so I have I've already given over that. Uh, <laughs> that you know uh, I've already uh, I've already acknowledged that. And so once it happens, it's like okay, there's the thing. There's the thing that screwed up. So how can we fix it? How can we make it right or make it better for whoever was affected? But uh, yeah, event planning's is a grind because once you get done with one. Then it's like, okay, well, am I going to do this again? Yep. <laughs> and uh, the, the first conference, I, I wrote an article on it. You can go to ptmoney.com and see the article I wrote on. I'll be sure to link that up in the show notes as well. Yeah, where I, where I actually show like the budget and how much, you know, the expenses we had, how much we got in sponsorships. And so you can actually see how much we made off the first event. I think I made 15K off the first event. So, um, and that's, you know, without paying myself anything. So, yeah. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't worth the time I put into it probably, <laughs> but there was a massive indirect value yeah. and, now I, and now I had this big asset that I could carry forward. And so that's what I chose to do. It was, it was, uh, my other business PT money was doing really strong at the time. So, um, it was, it was a good side hustle and it had indirect value for my other business. Um, events are really good for that. You know, if you've got some, some other type of product or service an event can really shine a light on that. And yeah. even, though, even though I didn't, I never made PT money the focal point of FinCon, mm -mm. people knew me as the founder. And yeah. so there was this sort of intangible love that all came back to my site. And yeah. people appreciated me. And I instantly became like a more notable person in our community, you know, because I wasn't, yeah. uh, I wasn't, uh, you know, your, your notable blogger at the time. So mm -hmm. I was just a guy who had chosen to, to do it. And so, mm. um, so yeah, so lots of lessons learned from that first one, but uh, ultimately decided to keep it going. And here we are now nine years, eight, eight years later, something yeah. like that. And uh, it's, it's a full-time business with three or two full-time employees and uh, a bunch of contractors that we use to, to get it done. So wow. happy to share more about the event industry or talk about our event or whatever you think's uh, interesting to your audience. Yeah, sure. So as you've been doing this for now, like you said, eight years, have you had any mentors in the event planning industry that have really helped you like take it to the next level or like improve upon what you've built yourself or, or has it really just been like trial and error asking for feedback and, yeah. and what does that look like? Yeah. So I would say my initial mentors were the other events I would go to. Right. Mm. So I'd, I'd be going to word camps, which is put on them by the WordPress people. I had, been, which is a very community based event. And so a lot of the community stuff from FinCon I get from the WordCamps. Hmm. Um, I'd also gone to affiliate summit, which okay. is, a, you know, affiliate marketing conference it happens a couple times a year and they do a really good job with their expo and their booths and sort of the business aspects of the event. So mm -hmm. I took And there used to be an old conference called blog world expo or new media expo. Um, and it's no longer around, but, Again, that was that was sort of a um, another conference that I riffed off of, right? So I, I took the ideas, and so in in some ways, those folks were my mentors. Whether they wanted, whether they, whether they had, I didn't have a direct relationship with them, but I basically, you know, stole like an artist. You know, yeah, exactly. I, I took the best things from all those events and put them together for FinCon. Um, I also read a book called uh, 
conferences that work, I think it's called, but it's by Adrian Seeger. Okay. And uh, he really talks about how to create a, a peer driven conference that really works for people when they get there. That's not just about like the big, the big talks or the sort of the distant keynotes and the, um, the corporate feel of a conference, but how to actually yeah. make, allow people to come to a conference to understand what they need and then for them to get out of that conference what they need while they're there. And so mm. that they, everyone leaves feeling fulfilled, feeling like they got what they needed at the event. So yeah. um, that's the book on making a cool conference. Um, along the way, I have uh, created uh, masterminds with other event planners. So mm. while I haven't had a direct mentor, I've had people to bounce ideas off of who are kind of coming up with me. And that's kind of how I always work. Um, I'm not really good at, asking for advice from someone ahead of me. Yeah. I guess I've tried that a little bit in my life, but I tend to play better by locking arms with someone beside me, kind of going on the same mm. journey and saying, you know, I'm trying to figure this thing out. Maybe we both can help each other kind of figure this out a little faster. And so that's, yeah. kind, of, that's kind of the approach I've taken. So yeah. Um, in fact, the owner of the podcast movement conference, which is Dan Franks, mm-hmm. he and I actually share an office to, to, to this day. And so we both really? Yeah, we also live here in the Dallas area, and so we have a co-working space, and we're not here all the time, but uh, you know, a couple times a week we get to see each other and just share what's new, share ideas, and uh, it's really cool to have someone like that. So surround yourself with event people if you can once you get into the industry, because um, there's not a lot of solo event planners out there. I mean, there are, there are corporate event planners, people who put on events for bigger brands. Um, there are sort of the boutique brand people. But uh, if you're doing sort of a mid, I would say a mid-tier um, association type of conference, there's not a lot of folks doing that out there. And so hmm. if you can find other people doing it, um, you know, lock yourself up with them and, and uh, make a relationship. So that's kind of what I've done. Yeah, it's all about building up that network and really finding people who are at a similar place with you that, like you said, you can bounce ideas off of and really help each other get to the next level because that's where both people can really benefit to the to the equation and and like you said it, it sometimes it can be tough reaching out to people that are above you because you feel like you're just taking and taking and taking and not giving anything to them so curious do you do you share who your mentor is i'd be curious to know i've got i've got a lot of different people that i like like you said steal from an artist take a little bit from here take okay. a little bit from there but, okay. but there's a lot of there's a lot of different people that i look up to for for different aspects of my life but that's that's a whole nother conversation that we could get into at some point but there's right. there's plenty of people um how I'm kind of curious which of these was, was more difficult for you when you were starting up FinCon. Was it harder for you to get butts in seats or was it harder for you to attract the kind of talent that you were looking for to create an event that was the caliber that you were looking to create? So which of these was really more, more of a struggle for you or were both of them pretty easy? Yeah, well, I saw, uh, I, I, if, if you get the talent, the butts and seats will be there. Mm -hmm. So that's the way I viewed it initially. And so what I tried to do was, uh, and I still do this to this day before I open up tickets and we're going to open up tickets in a, in a week here, depending on when you, uh, or not a week, three weeks from now, depending on when you publish this. But, uh, I, uh, I, I always try to let people create some type of social proof and, um, a sense that, you know, um, value by proxy, I guess is a way to say it, but basically showcasing who's going to be there as a way to say, to provide legitimacy or authority to the event. And so Hmm. even at the outset, the first call I made 
as soon as I started, the idea was to JD Roth and Pat Flynn, mm. all those two guys, because I sort of knew them mm-hmm. and I knew that they, this would be perfect event for them. They hadn't really done a, a big event yet that to my knowledge. And so it was like, if I could get those two guys, then everything else would sort of fall into place. Right? Yeah. Everyone else would sort of want to be there because JD Roth at the time was get rich slowly was massive. And, and, and he was really the godfather of kind of personal finance blogging at the time. Yeah. So, he, he was everyone's leader in a, in a sense. And so um, having him a part of the event, I knew would. And that, so first person I asked was JD. I said, would you be my opening keynote? Um, and he's like, yes, let's do it. You know? And then nice. I asked Pat Flynn later on, I was like, Hey, can you, can you close things out for us? It'd be really cool to have an entrepreneur there. And I really respect, I earnestly respected his work. He didn't know me from Adam, but um he knew our industry. He knew the personal finance blogging industry because a lot of us were following him. Hmm. And so, um, yeah, so having those two guys gave me confidence, you know, that I was like, okay, now I'm yeah. selling something. Now I'm really selling something of real value here. Yeah. And so then I could, it gave me confidence to, to push more in my marketing a little bit um, because I could promote the fact that I had these guys there. And, and one of the first things I did was, in addition to having sort of all stars, was to just show who all is going to be there. So I think on the website, Back in the day, there used to be those uh, Facebook like uh, boxes mm. where if you, you liked the thing, then your face would show up in the box there. Oh, yeah. And so since the entire personal finance blogging community was sort of already connected in that sense, mm-hmm. put that box right front and center on the event website. And as soon as people went there, they saw all the other influencers mm. who were liking it and who were a part of it. So without even really having a listing of like speakers as part of the event, I had this list of like people who were yeah. liking who were digging it. So there's like a, a big social proof factor going on. Um, so I was worried initially about getting some of those folks. And then once I sort of had those commitments, I was like, okay, well now I can sort of start sharing that. And um, it, it was like, okay, am I going to have a 75 person event or is this going to be 200 people? And so mm-hmm. that was the part where I started worrying. If yeah. I worried, not, not because, um, so, so the way I overcame that fear though, or that situation was I, I built two conferences. So I built a conference for essentially a hundred people. And then I built a second conference that would accommodate 200 people. And mm-hmm. in every aspect of my planning, I made sure I had the flexibility to stay at 100 or to expand to 200. So in my dealings with the hotel, I said, okay, I'm, I'm putting together a hundred person event, but it may expand to 200. Can we expand to 200? At some point, what will that cost? What will be the additions to that? Mm-hmm. So all, all, all along the way, I sort of hedged my bets, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and with the vendors I was asking to, was like, we're initially going to want probably 100, but what will it be to expand to 200? Another thing I did was um, I, I held back uh, the tables, the exhibit tables in the hallway. I didn't sell those. I, I sold, told myself, if I get to 100 people, then I'll sell exhibit tables in the hallways and that'll cover the cost for the rest of the event. So I kind of held some sponsorships back so that I didn't sell everything. And then all of a sudden I've got like this bigger event with like this minuscule sponsorship package I just sold. Yeah. And so, um, I kind of, so by doing it in phases like that, it allowed me to, uh, get comp, be more confident in kind of what type of event. So once I got to the hundred person mark, then I said, okay, here we are. We're still three months out let's release the beast and you know, <laughs> see if we can get to that 200 um, level mark. So um, that's what I would suggest for event planners who are kind of worried about getting butts in seats is 
hmm. plan, plan two events. Wow, that's very interesting. Did you did you get that on your own, or did you hear somebody else tell you that, or, or where did that idea come from? That's a really cool Just, idea. That's probably my my innovation. Yeah. Wow. All right. Just a, a part, a, probably my nuanced risk conservative profile. I like it. The PT Money Signature Conference Strategy. You heard it yeah. first here <laughs> on Young Smart Money. <laughs> so a lot of people, myself included, uh, before I had gone to FinCon, I'd never been to a conference before, and I really didn't understand what the the value of going to an event like this was so for somebody like myself who's a young person who maybe hasn't gone to a conference before can you sort of give your what like why do you think a conference has value like what what do you think is is the most beneficial thing that somebody's going to get out of going to a conference like fincon yeah well it allows you to uh make make new friends in a space where i sort of mentioned it when i talked about college earlier right college mm-hmm. was a big environment but allowed you to drill down to the organizations the people the kind of the ideas the things that you wanted to connect your life to yeah. conference is the same way it's typically centered around an industry or or a topic and you understand that these people they think like you they are interested in the same things you are and so if you're tired of bugging your wife about these topics. If you're tired of like hitting your friends over the head with these topics and they just don't care. Like come to a place where people get you come to a place where people understand you and uh, you know, they, they sort of get, you know, get who you are. So there's that relational aspect to it of just like these people could be my friends because they appreciate the same things I do. They um, share my values and they're just totally a geek about the same stuff I'm a geek about. Mm. Um, and a, most, a lot of conferences are built that way. But then there's other conference, there's other aspects of conference, which is, I would say, the transactional or the business side of things, which says, um, you know, I want to, uh, well, there's two parts to that. I, I, want to, I want to learn something fresh and new so that I can, it can move me forward as a human and in my business or whatever. Um, and, and while you can get education digitally these days, um, there's something about being in person with panels and questions and the yep. interactivity of content that still is hard to replicate digitally. And so, um, and, and like me, like I said, in college or in high school, I was the guy who needed to show up and sort of be there fixed for that 45 minutes to learn from that lesson. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of how I treat digital lessons these days. I, I just, mm. it's hard, for, it's hard for me to tap into them. So some people just, they learn by being actually in the room and that's kind of how I am. And then I would say the third aspect is the business part, which I was mentioning, which is, um, you know, you're going to do business with who you trust and who you, and who you have a relationship with. And so, um, at our particular event, brands and influencers come together to, you know, share ideas, talk about what they're doing. And, um, those relationships hopefully will become a business relationship and you can talk about the specifics more quickly um, more real time when you're face to face, there's a development of, of trust and, Oh yeah, now I know you now I'm going to remember you. And I think about that brand and now I'm going to have a guy over there to talk to um, or a girl over there to talk to and to relate to. And uh, it just facilitates more business, you know? Mm. Um, so, so yeah, those are the things I think about in terms of the value of, of, of going to an event. Oh, and, and we move FinCon every year yeah. uh, to a new location. And so, we try to make that a fourth benefit of our conference, which is seeing a new city. And so a lot of people like me love travel. And so uh, conferences give you a chance to explore a new city, explore a new scene and uh, take a vacation. 
I love it. I love it. For me, yeah, a lot of the things that I got out of it was the people that I met because honestly, before going, my network was very limited, especially with people who had similar interests to me. So that was that was a really, really impactful thing for me to be able to see like, okay, there are all these other people out here who are just like me and, and are passionate about the same things that I'm passionate about. So can you give our listeners who might be on the younger side some some tips when it comes to going to an event like this, a conference, a meetup, whatever, to how, how they can better get to know people and network with people and, and really make a good, a good impact and really expand their, expand their social network. Yep. So make a plan um, in terms of your schedule, take the conference schedule, the agenda, make a plan for all the things you want to do. So, so that you're not having to think about that, that while you're there. So you're boom, hitting your things, but then leave open spaces, right? So yeah. leave spaces where um, you can, on a whim, go do something that you maybe weren't planning to do, or you bump into someone and you know you go you go somewhere else. And even with your schedule, if you get to the conference and you're like, "I'm really digging this relationship," like let's just hang out and talk. Yeah. And if that means you skip the next three sessions, cool. But now you've got this <laughs> cool relationship you just built. So exactly. Um, so so build some build some schedule into it, but be flexible with that mm. schedule. Um, and then I would say also uh, do some homework in terms of like who you want to meet. So actually like take the time to look at the attendees, look at the brands who are going to be there and say, okay, these are the people that are kind of on my top 10 list of people. It's like, you know, I, uh, I really love to connect with them. And then, and then kind of, um, if if it's helpful for you to have a prompt or to have something to riff off of, come up with something, a way to engage with them. Mm. Like for instance, I know you, when you went to FinCon, you had built some, uh, you had basically done some consulting for some of the uh, influencers there. Yeah. And you were like, Hey, I, I did some pre-work for you on, on analyzing your Instagram channel or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now this is perfect segue to talk to that person, have a relationship with them. So yeah. I, would, I, would t- I would take that same mentality, even if, you know, you're not trying to get business with, from someone. Mm-hmm. Ultimately I would, I would do something like uh, create some content while you're there. So I would say, Hey, I'm interviewing, um, the top 10 influencers about their number one thing that gives them success in life or whatever. And so mm. um, if you create content while you're at the event, it gives you a natural excuse to go uh, talk to the the heavy hitters without just yeah. saying, without just walking up and saying, Hey, I like your stuff. And they're like, <laughs> okay, cool. And it's like, all right, what are we, you know, we don't, you know, oftentimes influencers uh, may not meet you halfway there. So it might be an yeah. awkward conversation, but if you can ask them something and tr- and try to show interest in them in a way that is natural for them to be productive back to you. And then maybe that creates a conversation to do that. Um, and I'm kind of an introverted guy. I need kind of time alone to kind of recharge. And so I would say, you know, make sure you're taking time for yourself while you're at the event um, yeah. to, to build in some time to recharge. Cause it is kind of a, a long experience. And if you just kind of try to go, 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 it could wear you out and you'd be miserable in the last day. But, uh, uh, that, yeah, that's my suggestions. I mean, uh, come with an open mind and, and, but go to conferences that you're excited about. I mean, exactly. Oftentimes, um, people who go to, who may go to a lot of conferences go because their boss sends them there because their job sends them there. And, and that's cool. But, um, pick out some conferences or some events that you want to go to for your, for personal reasons or, yeah. or because you've got a side hustle and you want to go learn about, you know, how to improve your side hustle. Like if you go to an event where like you earnestly care about the industry and, and you like the people in it, it makes yep. a big difference between that kind of event and an event where 
everyone you can tell was just sent there by their company. hundred percent. That's, and that's what makes FinCon pretty special is that 80% of the people there opted in to go there. They pay for it themselves and they got themselves there and they're excited to be there. Yeah. Completely, completely agree. Uh, now I want to hop into some of the questions that I like to ask all of my guests before we wrap up the show. And uh, the first of which is, what are you excited about right now? So this can be some kind of emerging trend in the wider landscape. can be something in your business, can be something in politics, could be really anything in, in the world right now that you're excited about. Yep. I am excited about video. Um, I, um, not only within the personal finance YouTube space, mm-hmm. which you're, which you're a part of and, uh, uh, it's just growing massively right now. Yeah. So lots of engagement, lots of people are learning and turning to YouTube to learn how to improve their financial life. And so I'm excited for channels like you, yours and individuals like you who aren't afraid to put themselves out there with their finances, but also like put them physically out there on a video, which kind yeah. of makes the blogger in me kind of makes me a little nervous. To do. <laughs> but, uh, people like you who are pioneering this space, it's pretty special to watch. Mm. Um, Video, I've also created a video production company. Uh, really? We're calling it We Are Vid. And uh, it's with myself and the Justin who runs the AV and technical work for FinCon. Hmm. And uh, he and I are put together a video production company because we just see so much need out there with influencers and brands who need, uh, who need to learn how to get into video, either yeah. starting a YouTube channel or doing promotional videos or... Um, we're also going to be helping out folks who uh, put on other events. And so mm. video, it's it's the future, man. And uh, I'm a personally interested in it. I told you before the show that, uh, you know, I'll stay up watching YouTube. That's my TV at night. You know, all my, yep. channel, all my channels I subscribe to and, and get to watch. And I love the platform. I love all the creators out there. So to see what's happening in that space is pretty special. 100%. Yeah, there's, there's so much, so many emerging trends and so many like creators that are popping off every single day in this space that it's, it's just wild to watch. So yeah, yeah. I'm totally with you on that one. And at FinCon, we're tracking them. So we've got a list at FinCon of the top uh, personal finance YouTube channels you can go check out. So if you enjoy Apple, certainly stay subscribed <laughs> here. But uh, if you're looking for others in the space who are all doing similar work, check out our list. Absolutely. I'll be sure to link that up in the, uh, in the show notes as well, because that is a very comprehensive resource and there's a lot of different creators on there that are bringing a lot of value to the table. So I think that's, that's a huge, huge resource. The next thing that I want to ask you is, do you have any habits that have served you particularly well? These can be either business habits, lifestyle habits, or just anything that you routinely do. Yeah. The one thing I'm really consistent about, uh, cause I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a growth mindset person. I want to move forward, but I do struggle like everyone else with uh, being sort of on and off and inconsistent in certain areas of my life. But the one thing that I have been pretty good at is, is turning off business at five thirty six every day hmm. and going home and having uh, dinner with my family. So that's hmm. a priority for me. And I feel like that's going to have long-term positive effects on my kids' lives and my yeah. relationship with my wife and my own health and my own uh, approach toward business because I'm an obsessive when it comes to business. I, oh, yeah. will, I will just, if, if I didn't have that, that family structure, I would probably just sit and work around the clock on my businesses. Yep. So, um, it's one thing in my life that I'm glad I've, I've got, I've got a good partner that helps me prioritize and make that an important aspect in my life. So, um, whether you, whether you ha- you're able to figure it out how to do it yourself or you got an awesome, um, spouse like I do who kind of creates that consistency and habit for you. Um, you know, figure out a way to, to, to do that for yourself. So that works for me. 
Yeah, that's definitely really, really important. And something that I'm trying to do a lot more of uh, as of lately is just prioritizing relationships and making sure that I'm, I'm making, I, I'm making well-rounded decisions and not just like focusing all my attention all the time in one place. And I'm really making sure that I'm giving, giving the, the time that I, that I want to be giving to all these different things. So yeah, I, yeah. I'm really glad you hit on that. Cool. But, the next thing that I, I want to ask you about is, so, so you mentioned you have a lot of creators that, that, that you're consuming their content, especially in video form. Who are some of your, your favorite creators, whether they be YouTube creators or books that you're reading or podcasts you're listening to? Who are yeah. some, of the, some of the names? Well, I'm all over the place, but uh, I, I, uh, I really enjoy, here lately, I watch Joe Robinette. Have you heard of Joe? No. He's a uh, bushcrafter and like outdoorsman. And he has an awesome YouTube channel. Just got a million subs. Wow. Uh, he goes out into the woods and camps with his dog. And you just watch him camp. It's, wow. It's the crazy. He, he doesn't talk that much. It's <laughs> just, it's amazing visually. And it's peaceful. And uh, I don't know. It like, hmm. It's an amazing channel. So I like Joe. Um, let's see. I like some of the... Uh, for movie reviews, I like um, Stuck, Chris Stuckman, um, and let's see, on the entrepreneurship side, I've just gotten into, oh, what's his name? Oh, man. I wanted to say it was, uh, I forget his name, but it's just gotten into him. I forget who it is. Of course, Gary V. I see his stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, on the book side of things, I always try to recommend, um, especially someone who's in high school or college, I will teach you to be rich. Ramit Sethi's book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, is a fantastic mm. personal finance book that uh, anyone up and coming should read. Um, kind of a no-nonsense, but straight to the point, like way to hack your finances and kind of well-rounded approach to it as well. So yeah, those are some of my favorite resources. Yeah. All right. Yep. I'll be sure to link those up in the, in the show notes as well so you guys can check out any of those if they really piqued your interest. What do you do? So in, in my business personally, one of the things that I really pride myself in is that every day I'll send about five to 10 video messages on Instagram to just random followers, just saying that I appreciate them and really thanking them for spending their time with me. Uh, and that's something that's inherently not scalable. Like I can't do that a mil I can't just copy and paste something and do it a million times. So do you have anything in your business, whether that be FinCon related or your blog related or, or anything related that you do that isn't very scalable? Like you couldn't just copy and paste it and, and do it a thousand times. Are there mm -hmm. any things that come to mind when I say that? Yeah, well, I still blog for this site occasionally, so I'm still writing two or three times a month there. Um, also, our Facebook community for FinCon is yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah, so, it really is. Yeah, so I'm not as consistent right now uh, because we're kind of in the off season, but mm -hmm. in, the, in the main season, I try to go in there on a daily basis and interact with people and try to answer questions and at least like, you know, acknowledge the questions and give them a thumbs up and yeah. uh, just kind of see what people are 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 interested in because if anything for FinCon, uh, if, if I have one role going forward, it's, it's the, uh, it's the community advocate, right? So mm -hmm. I am the founder, CEO, whatever, but, um, it, Jessica really, really runs the event these days. And so mm -hmm. I'm, uh, my role is to make sure that the event stays in tune and in line with the creators, the influencers who are in our space. And so mm -hmm. that's primarily what I see my role. And so that's a very manual, um, you know, in the weeds kind of role. And so yeah. I just try to hang out there and like be one of you guys. Mm. And, uh, and so when I show up to the event, it's like, Oh yeah, cool. This is like, we made it for us, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and as long as that vibe is still there and I feel like I'm doing, 
doing my part. So that's kind of a, a manual thing I try to stick to. Cool. I dig yeah. it. I dig it. Well, uh, mm-hmm. before we go, PT, where can people find out more about you, your blog, FinCon? Where should we send our listeners that are curious about learning more about you? Yeah, I think they would enjoy the stuff at ptmoney.com. We've been talking about a lot about side hustles and entrepreneurship and making extra money these days on that site. Um, what else? And if you want to learn more about FinCon and if you're into personal finance and creating content around that, then certainly hit up finconexpo.com. That's our main website and there'll be details about next year's event. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we've been dropping PT. You've been dropping so many value bombs on our listeners today. I really do appreciate it. And I appreciate your time. I still got a ton of questions I want to ask you. So we might have to bring it back for round two at some point, but uh, otherwise, man, I'll see you at FinCon. Thank you so much for your time. Anytime, Apple. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Young Smart Money. If you want to support the show, you can do so in three different ways. You can subscribe, you can leave me five, and you can share this episode with a friend. To subscribe, all you got to do is click the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. To leave me five, all you got to do is scroll all the way down to the bottom of the podcast's page for Young Smart Money and click on the write a review button. And to share with a friend, all you got to do is screenshot yourself listening to this episode, post on your Instagram story, tag me, and I'll be sure to repost it in my Instagram story as well. I love giving you guys some attention who are listening to the show. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the next one. Hope you guys enjoyed the video. I've got a free video training in the description below on how to start your own social media management agency. Check it out.